You are listening to the Rolling Tape Podcast, and this is my interview with Samantha Soul, director, writer, and star of Midday Black, Midnight Blue. The film is releasing on VOD June 16th while playing in Look Cinemas in L.A. any good you gave it to me you said that i was my ex well, it doesn't sound like me how you been was 24 when she died. You have to let me go. You look at love like a boat. And it's not a boat. It's the sea. Blue, black, Green, gold. It comes in so many waves. The love you die for that I wanted to know. I just have to recognize it. I wanted to know, I wanted to know. Hi, this is Danny Jarabek with The Rolling Tape, discussing a film that premiered at Seattle International Film Festival and is releasing on VOD June 16th. I am very excited to be speaking with Sam Soule, director, co-writer, and actor in Midday Black, Midnight Blue. Wanted to make sure I got those in the correct order uh, because I keep mentally messing it up. You are not alone. um, Thank you so much for joining me today, Sam. (laughs) You are not alone. It's a challenge and it's an excitement (laughs) to, to figure out our title. So I, I want to start off by asking you a little bit about just how the story came to be and um, what was the foundation and your early vision and conversations you had with your co-director and how you were going to going to shape this film. Yeah, I would love to. Um, I will just say off the bat, my brilliant co-writer and co-director Daniel Talbot is walking a picket line today in honor of the WGA. So there will be some topics that we would love to be able to come back and speak more about at another time once we have reached a fair and equitable <laughs> negotiation. Um, but what I can say is that Daniel and I have been just bandmates, I'll say, since the time we were teenagers. We met at Juilliard and sort of clicked right away. We were the weirdos with purple hair and black nails and ripped up jeans at Juilliard, which is a really traditionalist <laughs> sort of classical theater program. We were like, you're a weirdo. I'm a weirdo. Let's be friends. And we started a theater company. So that's how it began. And then we spent 20 years in the theater. And um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I, I had, my personal acting career had been starting to shift more towards film and television. And the great Scott Frank, who created Godless and Queen's Gambit, had sort of pulled me aside on set at, in Godless and said, I think you're more interested in lenses than most actors. <laughs> like Maybe you want to go back to school and learn some more about that. 
Um, which so I did at the beginning of the pandemic, I went back to that. And then Daniel and I started tootling around and making short films remotely. And then we wanted to do more. And Chris Stack is one of our oldest, dearest friends. And we have always wanted to lift Chris up and out of the New York theater and put him on a silver screen. So we got together and started making this. And we were really wanting to talk about, about how does art make space for pain? How do we, as a, as a collective people get more skilled at creating space for that? You know, how can we invite someone else's struggle to come and sit at our table and can we make space? And this film was a real adventure and sort of like, what, what can you, how do you do it? Like, can you create an environment where the audience is asked to go right inside the mind? You don't watch him, you are in him. And can you, can you ride the ride of what, what he's feeling and what he's going through? So that was really the goal. And I'm pleased. I think we kind of got there. <laughs> I, I want to hear from you this perspective of from this character at the center of it, um, played by Chris Stack, Ian, he, you know, we really enter into, you know, it's, it's a romantic, but it's not something that we see him fall in or out of love. We just kind of enter into right from the opening frame, this moment of grief. So how did you approach writing that and entering sort of the genesis of that character? Well, <laughs> Um, I mean, again, I'll say, you know, to speak really in depth about about the writing process, we would love to come back and talk to you more about that once we've sort of figured stuff out. But I think generally, Daniel and I both um, as directors wanted to create a space where all of that is liquid. You know, I mean, the, the film is really, you know, there's a theme running through it about the ocean and about sort of this enormous, powerful, stormy thing that is also so breathtakingly beautiful. And that's sort of, I think, how Daniel and I both experience life. You know, there's there's unbelievably stormy, tumultuous weather, and then there's breathtaking beauty. And so we wanted to, to build a world where both things were present constantly for him. You know, it's why we it's why we wanted to film in the incredible coastline of, of Northern Washington, you know, out in the Puget Sound in Washington, Pacific Northwest, because it is this sort of rough and, and brutal landscape. You do feel it like you're right on the edge. You could disappear, you could drop off. And yet it's just breathtakingly beautiful. And that water is filled with whales and, you know, like it's just, so we wanted to create a space where that could be true and, and both things present simultaneously. And Chris and I are, old and deep, deep, dear friends. So initially it wasn't the plan to have me play the, the role I played in the film, but it felt crazy not to, to use the relationship that Chris and I have and to let that come in. You know, a lot of this film is about love is not always one thing or the other. It's, it's shifting and it's changing. Family is how you find it. Family is how you make it. Love is any number of things. It's not binary. Um, and how can we expand our understanding of what love is, what joy is, what pain is, you know, that can, can they contain multitudes and can we get more graceful about our leaning into that, um, that codependence of good and bad, you know, they're, they're two sides of the same animal. 
Those themes you describe, I think, you know, one thing that that really stood out to me in watching this film and the way you brought that to life was the editing style. Uh, what, what was um, your perspective of finding the right sensibility to display those themes, that non-binary approach to love and joy that you speak to through the edit? Well, I have to say my when I first went back and enrolled in school, one of the things that I first fell in love with in film school was editing. It really felt like Oh, oh, okay. Okay. So like writing, you're just making up a recipe filming. You're going to run to the wilderness and forage for ingredients. And then editing is actually where you stand at the counter and try and make something that's edible. And so when we were looking for editor collaborators, I had only known editing through my own hands. Like, you know, I've, I have edited everything that I have done up until this movie. So, so it was really foreign to be like, but my hand needs to be on the mouse. I don't know how to do this. So we ended up finding two breathtaking people, Patrick Smith and Morgan Halsey. And so we wanted a male and a female. Um, Neither of them is the same race. Like they both live in different parts of the country. So we wanted there to be oppositional instincts present in the, in the edit process. And they did an incredible job. They work in entirely opposite ways. And Patrick would do a pass and then he would send it in. Then Morgan would do her pass and it would be very different. You know, and they learned each other and kind of, I I think they fell in love a little bit, you know, in, in course of like, in the course of learning each other's style and the way they did things and sort of going like, oh, I would never have done it like that. But wow, actually that makes me kind of think that maybe, I, you know, and it was just beautiful to watch this thing that, was in your imagination come to life in ways that you you couldn't even have predicted and you didn't have control over. It just grew and became its own thing. And then I have to give a shout out to Neural Pearl Rosenbaum, who's our, our composer, who um, was at Juilliard with Daniel and I, and is just a brilliant, brilliant thinker and a brilliant talent. And her ability to bring the sound of this world into it sort of elevated everything and sort of all of it became became its own ecosystem in a cool way. That that score is something that um, has stuck with me since I watched it. And, you know, the way I said that the the movie really came to life through the edit, the score just brought it to a whole other level, too. And so I'm really yeah. glad you pointed that out. And it, it really, I have to I say think, the first time that like ideas that you're referencing. Oh, thank you. I mean, I think the first time that I really got moved myself like watching anything back was when she sent us the the live theme you know is that is that it's actually um it's like an old 1700 sea shanty and it's called um leave her johnny and she found this thing and she was like oh maybe it needs to be that like maybe that's the sort of theme is this constant echoing of you leave her you have to leave her you have to leave her and nora found an orchestra in Macedonia <laughs> and they recorded this and, and she sent us a, the clip of, of at the beginning of the film live in the woods going down to the coastline. And I, I won't give anything else away, but there's an event that takes place right at the start of the film that sort of tips you into the journey that you're going to be on. And it, it like caught my breath, you know, to hear that sound and to hear that score and she was, you know, she built in enormous um, quantities of wind instruments because she was like, it's about lungs. It's about breath. It's about how do we breathe? You know, even when we're like sucked underneath the undertow of the water, what you're fighting up for is air. You know, and I think that's kind of grief can feel like drowning. 
and what you crave is air. And so I just was so moved by the ways in which these collaborators made, made the film the film. It's a magical kind of way that everything kind of melds together. I, I do, I do want to ask, of course, you, uh, you act in this film as well. How did you, how did you manage that with your director, Daniel? Um, did he direct scenes that you were in? Um, well, we got, we got really, really lucky. Uh, as I said, it wasn't initially the intention. Daniel and I were going to just co-direct together behind the whole thing because my bread and butter has been on, on, on camera. Like that's how I've paid my living. You know, I'm, I'm professionally an actress and this is sort of, I'm, I'm building a limb on my body to, to be behind the camera. So that was the goal initially. And then, as I said, because of Chris and I, and we filmed this during the pandemic, it just felt crazy not to use what we had, which is this long-term relationship. And Daniel and I kind of finish each other's sentences. You know, we've, we've known each other since we were teenagers and we're family at this point, you know, it's, it's gone beyond collaborators and, and so we built the script together. We were a team in pre-production. And then as we moved into filming, we got lucky that Merritt Weaver's schedule made sense to bulk all of her filming at the beginning. So we had the first chunk of days with just Merritt. So Daniel and I were at the camera and Merritt and Chris were filming all of their scenes. So it started out like that. And then I transitioned um, onto bouncing back and forth. and. And as I said, Daniel and I really function as a unit. So we would talk about everything we wanted to get, you know, out of the day. And then there's no one that I trust more. So to be able to know that he was at the camera and, and he's been a director much longer than I have. So I've been his actress for a million of his plays and things like that. So th it's a language that we know already. And because we had come together to create it, I felt like in some ways he could shepherd Ian and I could shepherd live from inside of it, you know, cause that was sort of the duality and that, you know, they're fighting for control a little bit, live and Ian, you know, she's really the agent of like, you got to change, buddy. This is, this can't continue. So it was like working from within. And, and that's kind of what, what I love as an actress is that you, you are working from within on behalf of your director or your playwright or your screenwriter, you know, you're there, to be on the other side of the veil and like bounce the tennis ball back through the veil. And it felt like I could do that with Daniel. I could not do this with anyone else. <laughs> like it's, it's, you have to have a really, really deep trust in each other. And of course, alongside you at the helm is Chris Stack. Uh, what was your, your, your way of operating and, and working with him both on screen and off screen? Because I think his performance in this is, hauntingly beautiful like that's the way I keep describing it. it's devastating but it's beautiful at the same time he's breathtaking I mean Stacky and I have been friends for over 20 years and we've played siblings on stage and you know I just I love him as a human and I love him as an artist and as I was transitioning into doing more and more work on camera I just kept thinking I know his instincts and I know his depth and he would be so brilliant on camera. And, and he's such a, he works all the time as a theater actor. And I was like, Oh my God, this man is a movie star. Like he's just, he's so brilliant and so deep. And Daniel and I, you know, set him up for, um, 
a challenging role, shall we say, Danny? I mean, he doesn't get to speak a lot, but he's just, I mean, I know I'm on theme here, but he's an ocean in and of himself, I think. And so he brings such complex depth to just silence. And I knew that we could sit with him as a person and that we were going to ask the audience to go on what could be a harrowing ride for some. I mean, trauma or pain is challenging, but Chris as a soul is one that I think just immediately elicits your empathy and you root for him and you can't not believe in him. And his journey in this is to the precipice of the journey of healing, you know, and I think what we really wanted to do was give, give permission to that artistry of stacks to just bloom in front of an audience's eyes to go from so locked down to being, being ready to open. And that's what we want to champion. It's incredibly brave to start to change. And I think normally we tell stories where someone completely, you know, they succeed entirely. They've gone to the top of the mountain and they've come all the down the other side. And right now it feels like the world is such chaos that we wanted to, to tell a story that it's epic and brave to try, to be willing to try. And that that deserves a movie all in and of itself. And I think Stack does an amazing job. I agree. <laughs> I absolutely love that description. And I think it, it works so well playing through Chris Stack, who, like I said, just gives... He, he says so much without saying anything. And, and that's, that's really, I think, what brings out a beautiful performance. Yeah, yeah. He just lets you in. Is there anything, because of course you mentioned that you're exploring trauma and grief. Uh, yeah. These are really heavy topics. Is there anything that you came across in the process of making this artistically that maybe you weren't expecting to come across? Yeah, well, I mean, in the course of making this film, PGD, which is prolonged grief disorder, has been added to the DSM. So it's the first time ever that that conversation is happening in the mental health world about mental health and grief. And can that start to be something where if someone needs help, can they get it? What's the path to that? You know, I think as a culture, we really, I was really struck by loss touches all of our lives. It's a given. We will lose people. We will lose grandparents. We will lose parents. We will lose loved ones. People lose children. You know, there, there is so, so much of it in the world. And yet culturally, it felt stunning to me in the course of this journey, how many people are afraid of it and, and, and don't know what to do with it and, and want to run from it. And yet if we could get more comfortable with each other's pain, I think that's actually the path to kindness and healing that, that empathy and generosity can save our lives. I mean, that's the, there's a, that's what Beth, who was played brilliantly by Merritt Weaver, exemplifies. All she does is run into him in a grocery store, and she's maybe the thing that saves his life. And all she does is offer, I see you, and I see you're in trouble, and I'm not afraid of it. And I'm in, I'm in trouble, too. And let's go for a walk. And that maybe those simple gestures are what might save us all. That's incredibly beautiful and poignant. And I just want to say congratulations on this film. 
Uh, it really touched me and resonated with me on a really profound level. And I hope it does the same for so many other people who get the opportunity to see it. So congratulations again, Sam. Thank you so much for sharing some time with me today. And I really appreciate it and wish you the best of luck in everything moving forward. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to talk with you.